You're listening to The Worker's Mic, powered by the Midwest Coalition of Labor and sponsored by Megan Financial, Premise Health, and Voya Financial. All right, welcome back, everybody, to The Worker's Mic right here on 720 WGN uh, with Ed Maher and Ken Edwards. Now, in the, the initial segment, I mentioned a study that I had read, and uh, we're lucky to have one of the authors of that study on the phone with us today. Uh, his name is David Madland, and David is a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. Welcome. And he's also the author of Reunion, How Bold Labor Reforms Can Repair, Revitalize, and Reunite the United States. So uh, welcome. Thanks for uh, coming on the show, David. Thanks very much for having me. So let's talk about the article first. Um, and, yeah, and, and, and before we do that, David, you are so you work for basically a think tank, correct? Yes. Center for American Progress, a uh, think tank, uh, has been around for about 20 years. You would say it, it, if it had a polar opposite, what would the other think tank be? The Heritage Institute or uh, American Enterprise Institute. So Those you, are largely like co- right wing think tanks. Yeah, the old Koch brothers money uh, funded think tanks. Right. So it's good to that there is a uh, a counterbalance to that, if you will. And you and you yourself, what's your background? My background, um, I've done. I've worked for labor unions. I've uh, worked for a member of Congress who was uh, chair of the labor committee when I was there, um, and worked on political campaigns. But I also have the academic side of PhD, um, and so I'm sort of a kind of a hybrid between. Uh, politics and union sort of work as well as the academic there, there, um, there is a there is a venn diagram that that has uh, some uh, all of that included and you, you must fit right smack in the right. middle of that and the washington post actually called you one of the nation's wisest labor scholars that's pretty high praise it's very kind of them <laughs> so, sometimes happen more often they'll say bad things about me but uh, that's all right and the washington post owned by that would be jeff bezos that's I think, right, right yeah and where did you go to school uh, I went to Berkeley for undergrad, and I uh, got my PhD at Georgetown. Nice. So, what? Uh, online? Are those are online schools. Georgetown. I think I've heard of that one. Yeah, they just give them to everyone. <laughs> you know, it's so, a nice thing that the kids have you can get online education nowadays, and look look where you could wind up. So, the study that you put together uh, that I came across the other day was uh, titled "Unions Build Wealth for the American Working Class." Um, and one of the first things that I saw in the study was a definition of working class. I mean, I always assumed that I grew up working class, but I uh, you know didn't know what it actually meant. So. Um, can you define working class, like how you define the American working class? Sure. In, in this study, you know, we define it as people without a four-year college degree. There's certainly other ways you could think about it, whether it's an income level or the type of, whether it's blue-collar work. But this is kind of a definition that lots of academics and sort of political people use, because there's often a, uh, a sort of a big difference in the sort of kind of income you can earn and the lifestyle you have if you mm-hmm. have a four-year degree versus uh, if you don't. And so, I mean, the the findings of this uh, quickly summarized would just be um, unions, the outcomes for union members in the working class versus non-union members in the working class are dramatically different. Unions are are extremely beneficial for that group. Could you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, so they're big. As you were writing, the typical working class union household has about uh, 200,000 in wealth, and that's four times the typical wealth for a non-union uh, working-class household. So these wow. are big, big differences. And you're, and you're talking about 
what property you know uh, money in the bank uh, you know your house etc right i mean that's that's what you're talking all about all of that yeah so wealth is kind of the, the, the it's add up everything that you've got that's positive your savings accounts right. your house your retirement accounts your pension subtract out anything you owe yep. subtract out anything you owe and it's the sort of this this net thing it's kind of a lifetime sort of accumulation of everything you've been able to earn it's not just what you got one year that you had a good year you earned something it's like a really what you got in the bank yeah i think that goes along with you know the studies that say you know uh, most americans are, are one catastrophic incident away from you know bankruptcy or homelessness right i think the study mentioned that one in three americans still can't handle an unexpected expense of four hundred dollars yeah so so what yeah, happened? yeah I mean, so, so that's so, scary that's sort of how that's you know, that, that puts into sort of perspective that when you think you're living to paycheck to paycheck, it's because you don't have any wealth to rely on. Yet when you're part of a union, it's it's transformative. And it's it's transformative because, you know, probably there's lots of other studies that looked at the good things unions do, like they have, high, you have higher incomes, you have better benefits, you also have a more stable job. Mm-hmm. And this study, really what it shows is that all of those add up to be so much greater because it's not just one thing unions do they they do all of this stuff and that means a whole lot more financial security for you and thinking about this in terms of wealth i mean we we talk all the time about hourly pay and annual pay uh being better under a union contract but uh, a term that you use in the study the union wealth effect um i think it 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 makes me think about it in a different way because one of the points that you make in the study is children of union members earn more during their lifetime so this is unions are creating a foundation for working class people that uh, benefits the next generation and the next generation. So you're you're really um, building a family uh, or building something like a strong foundation for your family to uh, to continue on for multiple generations. Yeah, you're hitting the nail on the, the head there, and that's what you know when you think of sort of typical person without a, a four year degree. That means they didn't necessarily, they probably didn't have a lot of family wealth. They didn't. They didn't have sort of the you know a fancy college degree and sort of the benefits that that might bring. So how do they take care of their family? How do they sort of pass something off? Other people, whatever they're, they're can pass on their estate or whatever fancy things they have. But for a typical person working, a union is sort of an essential way to do that because you set yourself up with some wealth, and that wealth can then provide all sorts of benefits for the next generation. And like your kids are healthier, like you know here in Chicago and around the midwest and i'm sure in other parts of the country you know you're seeing and 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 both ed and i come from the building trades david and and you're seeing you know we're opening doctor's offices and you know getting people in and they're healthier and their kids are healthier ed told me that union households you know members live longer right they're literally healthier so you know it's it's just yeah and these are you know these are the kinds of i think studies are getting a little bit more in into these kind of things of of because wealth, the other thing here is just wealth is so much more unequally distributed than income. It's, right. you know, like right. hundreds of times more unequally distributed. And so that means the life chances for people are so much different. But if you can build a little bit of a nest egg, like unions help you do, these have sort of benefits from so many facets of, of your life. That's, you talked about health and these kind of things are being more and more just studied. Or I you know, mentioned mobility and passing on advantages so your kids can then have the kind of advantages that someone who has a college degree has for example so that's one of the other findings from this study the typical um, working class union ha- household has 
almost as much, not quite, but almost as much wealth as the typical college-educated non-union household. So they're almost closing the gap with the college-educated. Wow. And I got to tell you, I think that you'll see you'll see that shift over the next you know ten years, yeah. if not sooner, because we are pre- preaching earn while you learn, mm-hmm. come to an apprentice program, don't come out with with debt. And as these college degrees, in my humble opinion, become less and less useful. Um, I think you're going to see a, a sea change in that. I want to talk. I want to switch gears, though, if you don't mind, to talk about your book. Um, I actually did download it last night, and I read the introduction. Um, it is it's it's radical. I mean, it's absolutely radical. So, you know, you talked about the fact that there needs to be a, a sea change here in America in terms of labor law, labor policy, etc. Can you just touch on a couple of, of those points? Sure. So my goal is most every worker should be covered by a union contract, by a collective bargaining agreement. So that means everyone can benefit from the, all of these things we've been talking about, the greater wealth, the having ability to have your family have security and the like. And so then how do we achieve that mm-hmm. is sort of is what I really want I focus on. Right. And to me, there are a couple things you need to do. And the first is about getting far more workers to be members of unions. And that's about giving workers stronger rights, things like the PRO Act, but it's also about really how you incentivize people to join unions so that we can have membership rates like some of the countries like in Sweden, for example. But we also then, I think, want to improve how we bargain so that we're covering far more workers. So that's when you come to the sectoral bargaining is what you called it, right? Exactly. Yeah, and explain exactly. what that means. Most of our, what does that mean? Yeah, so most of our bargaining in the U.S. is worksite by worksite. Right. But when unions are really dense, like you think of the old auto industry, they had mm-hmm. something close to sectoral bargaining where they covered kind of all of the workers in the industry and the gains sort of spread out from there. So everyone in the, in the shop got a good union contract. And... That means that the that the firms don't have don't want to don't need to fight unions so much because they they're going to pay the same rate kind of whether no matter what right exactly it also means which is sort of the that's you know one of the things that unions have been fighting for for a long time is similar pay for similar equal pay work. for equal work absolutely it's, and and you, 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 it's really hard to get that when you're bargaining just with an individual work site. If you can get to a broader level, right. and you know, you talk, you come from the trades. One of the things I talk about is prevailing wages are Absolutely. sort of one of the few things we have that are a little bit like what I want, but I want it on a much bigger scale. So do we. So in prevailing wage <laughs> law, when you're working on a, you know, con- doing construction on a government contract, yep. typically the firm has to pay at least the prevailing wage. Which, when unions are strong, that's the that's the union rate. Right. right. And so all of those workers. Are, benef- are, are benefiting, but also the union is, is benefiting because their wages aren't getting undercut. Your wages aren't getting undercut. That's right. And our, con- and our, and our, con- yeah, and our contractors are not getting undercut. Exactly. Right. And so you, your firms are succeeding and can compete. So you're saying to take that and take it to a psychological conclusion, which is you do it across a sector, right? Whether it's a service exactly. sector or you know a manufacturing sector or whatever. So sectoral bargaining, that's that's number one. You also say, which is something that Ed and I have been saying since the day one of this show, that the labor policy and the labor, the penalties for breaking the law here in the United States are laughable. It's a joke, right? And that that needs to change. It's a crime. It's it's criminal, of course. Yes. The, 
Absolutely. We need real penalties for firms that violate the law. Otherwise, there's no disincentive for them to, you know, go on as they do. As you, you know, probably heard on your show before, these the, the, the penalties right now are laughably weak. That firms sometimes refer to these as quote, you know, their hunting licenses. It's just a permit that they have to post. Practically, there's no, there's nothing, nothing deterring them from all sorts of horrible union busting activities. And that needs to stop. But I'm, and, but I'm also for, we need to go well beyond that. Like, that is just not enough. It's not just enough to say you can't do this. We want to really encourage workers to get into unions. So you mentioned these apprenticeship training programs that yes. you all do, which yep. I think are, you know, one of the best things we've got going. You earn as you learn. That's right. But as you know, it's also a pipeline for people to get into your union. Yes. And so I want to ramp that up and things like that as well. So we're really incentivizing, encouraging people. And to in the process, you build a, build a more skilled workforce for the nation. And then we have, you know, there's greater productivity gains. So there's a bigger pie and we can get more of that bigger pie. So, I mean, one of the things that uh, you mentioned in your book from what Ken was telling me is that um, the political uh, arena here is someplace where workers are not winning. Um, you know, what we see is that unions make a huge difference no matter who you are. Uh, they will make your life better. Um, and yet we have a Republican Party that often nationally is pushing policies that are against unions and often against workers. And the Democratic Party, which, frankly, I think is just distracted from these kitchen table economic issues and focused on things that, you know, maybe fall outside of uh, Maslow's old hierarchy of needs. Um, so, I mean, what do you think needs to happen on the political front to uh, to kind of open the floodgates here? Well, I, I think you started to get it right. You know, labor issues have to become front and center. They can't, we, we can't be distracted by all these sort of, sort of, you know, whether, you know, cultural issues that are dividing Americans. We all want to find how to make work pay and put that front and center. And there's starting to be a shift. It's nowhere near enough, but there's been some big movements that I think, you know, are important to note. So the public opinion right now on labor unions is more popular, labor unions are more popular than they've been almost ever. Right. Approval yeah. ratings around 70%. Yeah. So union, the public yeah. yeah, no question about there. it. And, and the unions the won 80, 80% of their elections last year. You, I'm going to mean to cut you off, but and we, we don't have a, a lot of time left, but you said something, you know, that uh, that I think is something that Ed and I have been saying that when you take out the, you know, the gun issue, uh, the gender issue, the, you know, whatever it is, the woke issue, blah, 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 all this kind of nonsense that, like you said, is dividing this country and, and doing a very good job of dividing us, by the way. And you take that out and say, hey, how about this worker amendment on the ballot? So here in Illinois, we passed the Workers' Rights Amendment. Every single county. In the, in, thank you. Thank that you, was a thank big you. deal. Every single county in this state, deep, deep red Illinois voted in favor of the workers rights amendment yeah right so moving everything off to the side like you said david focusing on labor and workers rights that has to be the center of attention and what bernie sanders is doing i think is important right holding some uh, ceos accountable and having hearings it, it needs to get labor and workers rights has to get into the vernacular of the american people and, and politics and culture you know and radio shows and television shows and you know things like that mm-hmm. and you know your book and what you're doing i think is is important in that regard you know i would encourage everybody to go out and google this buy this guy's book because you know it's it's absolutely fantastic and and, and we, that, we, that book that book again is, is called and i of course agree like 
we got to make union issues the center of sort of political debate. Agreed. Yeah, and the book, again, is called Reunion, How Bold Labor Reforms Can Repair, Revitalize, and Reunite the United States. And we've been talking to David Madland, a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. David, I know you've got to run. Thank you so much again for making some time for us this morning. My pleasure. Really enjoyed it. We'll be right back right here on the Workers' Mic 720 WGN.